Chapter twenty seven of Carpenter's Geographical Reader Asia by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Singapore and the Malays. Leaving Bangkok, we sail for five days to the southward over the Gulf of Siam to the Straits of Malacca and land at Singapore within eighty miles of the equator. Our voyage is through summer seas and the surroundings are those of the tropics. All nature is changed. At night the stars seem more brilliant than we have ever seen them before, and Venus and Mars cast rays like those of the moon upon the water. The moon itself appears closer to the earth and larger and brighter than it was in America. We see the Southern Cross, the stars of which are not visible from our part of the world. The Milky Way seems more milky than ever, the sea is bluer, and the phosphorus upon the water marks out the ship's track as a wide road of fire, which loses itself now and then in the darkness, but springs alive again upon every wavelet sent out from the steamer. The sun, so hot at midday that we dare not step out upon the deck without some sort of head covering, goes down in the west in a gorgeous splendor unknown to our land. Its dying rays color the water with bright tints of gold, which fade one into another, and finally, when the sun has sunk below the horizon, change to a delicate purple, and then to a rich dark blue, only to light up again under the bright tropical splendor of the moon and stars. When there are clouds in the sky, the sunsets are grander. As we near the coast and float into the straits, the sun's last rays are filtered through palm trees, and the funeral song of the dying day is sung by a thousand birds, whose voices are new to the ears of the people of the temperate zone. We float along the Malay Peninsula, which, though it is near the main line of ocean travel, is but little known to the world. It is in the heart of the tropics, its rich soil being covered with a dense jungle of luxuriant vegetation, and its shores bordered with coconut palms. This part of Indochina has also forests of the choicest hardwoods. We are now coasting the land of the Malays, the home of the tiger. The Malay Peninsula has jungles filled with wild beasts, hundreds of which swim across the narrow strait between the peninsula and the island of Singapore every year. Tigers prowl about the villages of the mainland and even visit the cities. I was once shown the tracks of a tiger in the heart of the capital of the state of Johor. They were plainly outlined in the sawdust of a lumber mill, and were so fresh that they must have been made only a few hours before. The tiger had run through the mill at night without attacking the then quiet buzz saw or molesting the babies and children who were sleeping quietly in the thatched huts hard by. The danger of tigers and snakes is so great that the government offers rewards for killing them. The usual fee for a tiger is $50, and that for a snake ranges from 50 cents to $5, according to size and kind. I once saw a man bring from the jungle into Singapore 39 venomous snakes, for each of which he demanded a reward. He carried them in a bag, and when he showed them to the policeman, he put in his hand and pulled the snakes out one by one, and killed them by cracking their heads against the ground. His hands were bare, but he did not seem to be afraid of the snakes, 
why he was not bitten i do not know the greater part of the malay peninsula and also the small islands of singapore and penang which lie at its southern end in the straits of malacca belong to great britain the mainland yields coffee rubber and spices and its mines produce most of the tin used by the world the islands are valuable as trading centers and this is especially so of singapore which is often called the halfway station on the trip around the world from africa to europe and from europe to china and japan the great ships which trade with the far east by way of the suez canal stop here on their way through the straits of malacca and there are also steamers which call as they go to or come from australia and the islands of the dutch east indies our naval vessels and transports sailing from europe to the philippine islands call at singapore and it has ships almost every day from ceylon hindustan and burma the trade is so great that a fine seaport known as singapore city has grown up about the chief harbor whereas our ship comes to anchor we are surrounded by vessels from all parts of the world landing we are met by a medley of people from the countries about those we see on the wharves are of every shade of black yellow and brown there are malays the brown-skinned natives of the mainland and the islands there are siamese in sarongs jackets and caps and yellow burmese dressed in silks with silk handkerchiefs wrapped around their heads there are chinese rich and poor some clad in silk and some in blue cotton and clings from india as black as coal and as straight as pine trees it is the chinese and east indians who do most of the work the latter driving the bullock carts from wharf to wharf and handling the freight there are dyaks from borneo arabs from about the red sea and persians in white caps and gowns there are tall sikh policemen from india with high turbans of red parsees from bombay with hats like inverted coal scuttles and also many whites made up of english french germans and americans who are passing through or are engaged here in trade the city altogether has several hundred thousand inhabitants of whom almost all are from asia or the islands nearby there are more chinese than any of the others and we shall find that the chinese do most of the business leaving the wharves we go to our hotel which is situated in a beautiful park not far from the sea there are tennis courts and golf grounds and not far away is the botanical garden one of the finest of the world during our stay we call upon the governor and at his suggestion cross to the mainland and go by railroad through the states of malaysia the trip is delightful we are in the tropics and our way is through plantations of bananas coffee and spices we spend some time in the orchards learning how nutmegs and cloves are raised and watch the men at work in the vineyards from which come our white and black pepper pepper vines grow much like hops they are trained upon tree stumps or upon sticks set upright in the ground they begin to bear in the third year after planting and a single one will often produce as much as two pounds of pepper per annum some of them yield two crops every year and they continue to do this for many years there is no difference between the berries which produce the black pepper and white pepper both are from the same kind of berry and from the same vine the black pepper comes from the berries picked when green 
As they dry, they turn black. The white pepper comes from those which are left on the vines until ripe, and which when picked are of a fiery red color. The berries are soaked in water when the outer skin falls off and leaves the pepper of commerce. We go to the tin mines which are situated on the Malay Peninsula, and also in the islands of Banka and Billiton nearby. The tin is often in the form of grains mixed with earth, and it is washed out as our miners wash gold from the placer deposits of the Rockies. Some tin is found in the streams and some far below ground, the latter being carried up by Chinese, who climb ladders with baskets of tin ore on their backs. After the ore is cleaned, it is smelted in charcoal furnaces, being run off into bricks of about the size of a five-cent loaf of bread. It now looks like silver and is ready to be shipped to the markets. We meet many Malays at Singapore and find them everywhere during our travels through the Malay Peninsula. They are the aborigines or native inhabitants of this part of Asia. They are a peculiar people in color and features not unlike our Filipinos. They have brown skins, straight, well-made forms, and small hands and feet. On the peninsula, the poorer classes wear but little clothing. The smaller children go almost naked, and the men wear a bag-like skirt, which reaches from the waist to below the knees. When a Malay puts on his clothes, he places this skirt on the floor and steps into it. He then lifts it up to his waist and fastens it there in a knot. The dress of the women covers the whole of the body, and the richer ones have light silk shawls on their heads. The well-to-do men wear jackets and caps, but the poor are often bare to the waist. The men are proud and haughty. They stand straight, and their walk is quite graceful. We see very few of the high-class Malay women. These people are Mohammedans, and they keep their wives and daughters secluded. This is one of the customs of their religion, of which we shall learn more farther on in our travels. The Malay villages are made up of one-story huts, thatched with palm leaves. The houses are seldom more than fifteen feet square. They contain but little furniture, the kitchen utensils consisting of a few pots, an iron pan, and a coconut ladle. The family sit on their heels or sprawl at full length when taking their ease in their homes. The only beds are mats spread upon the earth floor. Everyone smokes and nearly all chew the beetle. The climate here is such that one needs but little clothing. Babies and small children often wear nothing at all, and we find it best to take off everything possible. We are now near the equator, where the sun rises and sets at the same hour each day the year through, where the flowers always bloom and the trees are always green. Birds by the thousands sing all the year round, and the temperatures from one year's end to the other is that of a moist July. In our rides over the peninsula, and upon the islands we pass through tropical jungles and now and then see coffee plantations and coconut groves the green coconuts hang in great bunches from the tops of palm trees each of which is from fifty to one hundred feet high now and then a nut falls and we cut out a hole in the end and drink the sweet milk the coffee estates are made up of fields of green bushes which if not trimmed grow to a height of eighteen feet the bushes have berries which, when ripe, are dark red and of about the size of a cherry. 
They look much like cherries save that they grow close to the branches and not upon stems. Each berry contains two seeds surrounded by pulp, and these seeds are the beans or coffee of commerce. The Malays we see at Singapore are lazy, and we learn that they live from hand to mouth, working only enough to keep them from starving. In the interior, they are more industrious, and not a few of them are now setting out plantations of coffee, cacao, pepper, and rubber. The country has greatly improved since the British took it under their protection. They have established justice and order, and are starting schools everywhere. They have post offices and postal savings banks. They are building railroads and laying out towns. We find hotels at the capitals and stop at the government rest houses in the villages. Each state is ruled by a native sultan, but the sultan has British officials to help him, and the country is increasing in wealth. End of chapter 27